All right, well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn in them to 2 Timothy chapter 4. We are getting very close to finishing this short letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. Um, If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. You can look on the inside cover of your bulletin. Uh, The verses that we're going to be looking at today are there printed on the inside cover. We're going to be looking at 2 Timothy 4, verses 19 through 21. So 2 Timothy 4, 19 to 21. Friends, listen. This is God's word. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. This is God's word. So I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, okay, that was just a list of names. How in the world can you preach a sermon on that? Right? I think you're going to be surprised. You're going to be surprised. Um, We're in a series that's called Living a Legacy. And this is the second to last uh, in this series. And uh, I just want to remind you of Paul's bucket list. Paul knows he's about to die. He's got, he, in his mind, could be r- roughly about six months to live. And so we've been asking ourselves the question, if we found out we had six months to live, what would we do? And we're learning from Paul, because Paul's showing us what he's doing with the last six-plus months of his life. Um, and we've seen this, that what Paul is doing with the rest of his life, his bucket list um, applied to us, are that Paul is busy discipling others, Paul's making sure he's reconciled to those that he can be. Um, And then third, he continues to learn about God. And so for us, Paul's offering us a bucket list and saying, hey, not just with your last six months, but with the rest of your life, if you commit to this, to disciple others, to be reconciled to those that you can be reconciled to, and then to keep learning about God, you will have a legacy Uh, And not just any legacy, but you'll have the legacy of the gospel. You'll have a legacy that can actually impact the rest of eternity. Okay? And so, Paul has said in this section earlier that life is like a race. He says in 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 7, just about 10 verses earlier, he says, The time of my departure has come. He knows he's going to die. And he says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And so in week one of this series, we saw that Paul, even though he's at the end of the race and he's finished, he's still running. And he's going to continue to run all the way to the end. He's going to keep discipling people. He's going to keep learning about God all the way to the end. And then last week, in week two, we saw that Paul wasn't just running the race, but he was jumping over the hurdles. Okay, so the, the race of the Christian life isn't just a sprint, it's not just a flat race, but it's, it's like the 440 or the 400 meter hurdles, right? Where periodically you got this big giant hurdle you have to jump over. And we saw Paul jumping over hurdles in his ability to forgive others. Remember that last week we talked about forgiving others is jumping over the hurdles in life because revenge and bitterness and anger, they trip us up. They trip us up. And the only way out, the only way to get back up is to forgive. 
And so Paul, he's run to the end of the race. He is jumping over hurdles. But in this passage, in these three verses, what we realize, what we're reminded of is that this isn't just a race, but it's actually a relay race. Okay, the race that Paul's in is really a relay race. And in these verses, what we see is Paul passing the baton. Okay, that's what's going on in these three verses. Paul is passing the baton. And passing the baton speaks to the subject of legacy. And so if you want to take notes, the first blank there on your outline, you can fill this in. Legacy is the part of you passed on to others. Okay, it's the part of you that's passed on to others. So hear me, everyone has a legacy. Okay, every one of you will have a legacy. You don't have to be rich, famous, powerful, or good-looking, or even smart to have a legacy. Uh, but the question that's important is to ask yourself, what kind of legacy will you leave? Okay, you are going to have an impact on the world, but what kind of impact will it be? Um, you can leave a legacy of indifference, you can leave a legacy where what people will remember f about you is that you didn't care. Um, you can leave a legacy of someone who is so busy but ignores what's most important. Um, you can leave a legacy for being doggedly determined and persistent. And yet, seemingly always, climbing up the wrong ladder that's against the wrong wall. What Paul is modeling for us in these verses is that we can actually, again, live a legacy that can affect forever. You can do things and you can live in a way that will have an impact on people for eternity. Okay, we can live a legacy that can help people to set them free from a life of tyranny from circumstances. Right? There are so many people whose well-being, whose attitude, whose spirit is based entirely on whether their circumstances go well for them or not. Paul's modeling for us a legacy that would set people free from being determined by circumstances. Paul offers us a legacy that would help people to be freed from the struggle to be in control. Right? You know that feeling that you have where you've got to make sure things work out or else? Paul can set you free from that. And he can actually help you to set others free. Some of us are enslaved and live a life where we're pursuing things that can't make us lastingly happy. Paul's legacy sets us free from that. Paul is leaving this legacy for Timothy. And what is crazy is that 2,000 years later, we are gathered here because we want to inherit Paul's legacy. If we can inherit this, and this begins to change and affect the way that we live, this can become the kind of legacy that we can leave for others. And so, in these verses, Paul's passing the baton on to Timothy, and then to us as well. And there's three parts to the legacy that Paul had. Three things that Paul did right. Okay, the first thing we're going to see here is that Paul had the right community for Timothy. Okay, Paul had the right community for Timothy. This is number one there in your outline. We see this in verses 19 
and 20. Paul says in verse 19, Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. These aren't just random people. Okay? These are people who were in Ephesus, where Timothy was. Timothy was in the city of Ephesus. Um, Paul was writing to him in Ephesus. And Paul says, hey, I want you to say hi to Prisca and Aquila. And if you see Onesiphorus, tell him hi too. Um, Paul's saying, hey, I want you to greet them. Go say hi to them. Paul chooses these three people um, not at random. Paul chooses these three people because these are some of the leaders at the church in Ephesus. Timothy is the pastor of this church, and these are other leaders. And what Paul wants Timothy to do is he wants Timothy to go and to spend some time with them. Paul is hoping that this greeting would turn into a meal, would turn into a lengthy conversation. Why? Well, because if we read the rest of the Bible and we look up where Prisca and Aquila and Onesiphorus show up, some interesting things happen. Prisca and Aquila, uh, these were, this was a husband and a wife that did ministry as a team. And one of the things that characterized their ministry was they taught. They were teachers. And so they taught people and they taught boldly. Okay, and so these are actually old cohorts of Paul, right? And they were not afraid to proclaim strong, bold truth. Why would it be important for Timothy to go spend time with some people who weren't afraid to speak strong and bold truth? It's exactly what Timothy needs, right? Haven't we, if you've been here during this series for any length of time, right? we've seen what Paul has said to Timothy. Paul has said, God hasn't given you a spirit of timidity, not a spirit of fear, Timothy, but God has given you a spirit of power and love and self-control. Paul told Timothy, don't be ashamed of Jesus, but be strong for Jesus. Paul knows that Timothy is struggling. He's struggling to be bold. He's struggling to speak up when he needs to speak up. Paul's not telling Timothy to be obnoxious. Paul's not telling, people, not telling Timothy to speak inappropriately or obnoxiously like people with bullhorns and giant signs. He's not telling him to do that. He's just saying, Timothy, you're the pastor of this church and you need to be able to teach. You need to correct false teachers. You need to, get your, you need to wake up and get your act together. You need to get back into the game. And he's been telling Timothy this throughout this letter. And so now he's saying, hey, Timothy, why don't you go say hi to Prisca and Aquila? Why don't you make sure that you spend some time with them? Because Paul knows that Prisca and Aquila are part of the community that Timothy really, really needs. Paul knows what Timothy struggles with. And so he directs him to these folks so that Timothy can learn from them so that he can actually see what Paul's asking him to do in flesh and blood. Right? How many of you have ever had a sense where you read something in the Bible, you heard something preached, and you thought, well, okay, I kind of understand the concepts, but I don't know what that would look like in my life. Right? What Paul is doing here is he's saying, Timothy, I'm not just telling you this, but I want to send you to the people who can model this for you. Right? I, want, I want you to spend time with people that are doing what you need to do. So they can model. You can see it in flesh and blood. And Onesiphorus, um, in his whole household, Onesiphorus, um, he's amazing. We learned about him just earlier in 2 Timothy, in chapter 1. 
Paul said this, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. So Onesiphorus wasn't ashamed. Onesiphorus wasn't ashamed that Paul was in prison, because back then there was a cultural stigma with being in prison. People thought, we can't relate to this at all, can we? Well, if you're in prison, you must have done something wrong. Right? Yeah, we can relate to that. I mean, in the same way that when Paul went to prison, there was a whole group of people that said, oh man, Paul's in prison. Yeah, we're not associating with him anymore. And Timothy was one of those people. Timothy was ashamed of Paul. Timothy was ashamed of being associated with Paul, but Onesiphorus wasn't. Onesiphorus was not ashamed of Paul or his chains, but when Onesiphorus arrived in Rome, it says, he searched for me earnestly and found me. Okay? They didn't have a website that you can go to and find out what cell you were in or what prison you were in online so you could know where to go. No, if you showed up in Rome back then in the ancient world to find Paul, you had no idea where he was. And so Onesiphorus wasn't ashamed, but he searched earnestly. He searched earnestly. So it's not like, hey, anybody know, man, so anybody, who's in jail lately? Oh, Paul. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, you know, I think I heard of him. Where, 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 where are you saying he's staying at? Interesting. Thanks. I'll catch you later. Right? No, no, no. Like, Onesiphorus searched earnestly for Paul. So he was saying, look, I want to find out where Paul is because I know that what Paul has done is right. Paul is in prison because of Jesus, because he's been faithful to preaching the good news about Jesus, and both the Jews and the Romans don't like that. And because the Jews and the Romans don't like it, he's in prison. But you know what? I stand with Paul. I'm with Paul. And so Paul is telling Timothy, hey, if you have a chance, make sure you greet the household of Onesiphorus. Again, Paul is sending Timothy to exactly the community of people that Timothy needs. Exactly to the people who are doing what Timothy needs to do himself. Because Paul knows that part of discipling Timothy, part of caring for Timothy, isn't just telling him what to do, but it's showing him. It's encouraging him, and it's surrounding Timothy with the community, right? With the community of people that will help Timothy get in gear. Are you with me? So the question for you is, man, in what way are you like Timothy? In what ways is, is there something that you kind of know you need to be doing, but you're not doing? And who do you know that you can spend time with? Who do you know that you can spend time with? Maybe you're suffering and you don't know how to deal with suffering. Well, there are people in our church, there are people in my life group. If you come to my life group, I can introduce you to people who are not perfect people, but they have suffered significantly and they are holding on to Jesus and they are finding hope and strength and power in the midst of their suffering. I could tell you to go greet them. Uh, maybe you're having issues at work in a frustrating, depressing, oppressive environment at work. Do you need help with that? Well, I can tell you if you join my life group, I can introduce you to people. And I'm only speaking about my life group because I know the people in my life group, right? But our church is full of people, and it's not just my life group, but in every life group, 
We have people that are going through things and are the kind of people, again, they're not perfect, but they're dealing with and holding on to Jesus in the midst of all kinds of circumstances. I mean, that's in some ways what a church is supposed to be. It's a family. We're a family of brothers and sisters, and when we're going through stuff, part of the purpose of the church is to let you know that you're not alone. That you're not alone. And so, who do you need to spend time with so that you can be encouraged? If you don't know where to go, um, then join a life group. Ask me. Talk to somebody who's part of the church, and we can help you. But so Paul had the right community for Timothy. We see that in verse 19. Verse 20, this is a list of other leaders that are in other parts of, of the Roman Empire. Okay, Erastus is at Corinth. Trophimus is at Miletus. Um, these are people that actually worked with Timothy. They're not in Ephesus where Timothy is, but they're in other parts of the empire. But Paul brings them up to let Timothy know where they are and that they're still, do, you know, they're still engaged with Paul. Okay? And he says this because, again, he wants Timothy to know it's not just my cohorts, like Prisca and Aquila and Onesiphorus, these folks that I run with, that can be good examples to you. But Timothy, you've got people that aren't just over you, but you've got um, colleagues. Right? You've got people that are at the same level as you, people that you've worked with that are continuing the ministry. Remember them. Right? They're doing what I'm asking you to do. And so you know that you can do this too. And so again, this is the community that Paul puts around Timothy or encourages Timothy to pursue. And I, it's important for us to see that what Paul does here is he tells Timothy, you've got to go pursue them. Okay, you go say hi. You go spend time. Okay, it's up to us. It's up to us to pursue people. Um, man. There was a person this week who pursued me and our staff, came to our office because he needed prayer this week. He was just frustrated, sad, broken, because he was having to face reality and a future that was not what he wanted. And he pursued us, and we prayed together, and the Lord ministered to him. He had to come. We didn't know. We didn't know that he was suffering. But he came. And so, friends, you've got to pursue this. If you're struggling right now, you've got to say it to somebody. You've got to tell somebody else. You've got to make sure that you're not alone, okay? It would be awesome if everybody could read our mind. It would be awesome if everybody knew what we were dealing with. Uh, but the reality is that sometimes we have to go first. Sometimes we have to let people know that we're struggling. Okay, and so I want to encourage you to do that. All right, our second point. So beyond the right community for Timothy is that Paul had the right priorities. Paul's priorities were personal discipleship. We see this in verse 21. Paul says there, do your best to come before winter. Do your best to come before winter. This is a little bit crazy. Um, crazy. What I mean by this is that Paul has written this entire letter, right? We're in chapter 4 now of this letter. Paul's written this whole letter telling Timothy to wake up and to pastor the church at Ephesus, right? He's trying to get Timothy to wake up and to return to being the pastor that he once was, but he's stopped being because he's gotten afraid. He's gotten timid. He's afraid of suffering. 
We've gone through this whole letter, right? It's all about, look, don't be afraid, Timothy. Be strong, Timothy. Train up leaders. And the letter climaxes in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, where Paul says to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. He's saying, Timothy, pastor the church. Teach them the truth. Stop being afraid. Stand up. He says, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Right? So he's like, Timothy, this is what you need to do. You need to pastor this church. And then he says, hurry up and leave. Come to me before winter. In verse 21, this is actually the second time that he said it. Because he says, a second, uh, he says it in verse 9. He says, do your best to come to me soon. So this is the second time in 11 verses that Paul has said, Timothy, I want you to leave Ephesus, actually, and come to me. Doesn't make sense, does it? This is a trip that would take at least six months. The round trip would take at least six months. So if Timothy were to leave the moment he gets it, um, and the letter probably would have taken, it could have taken a month, might have taken longer to even get there. Um, but if he left the minute he got there, left to go to Rome um, from Ephesus, and to get back, it would take six months. Right? And it's six months. It would have taken even longer if they got stuck, if, if Timothy got stuck in Rome during the wintertime. Because there were four months where you couldn't travel, you couldn't trip. The way to get from Ephesus to Rome was, to, was, was by boat. Uh, there wasn't really a, a good land route. And so they would literally close off the seas for four months in the winter because it was too treacherous. And you just, you wouldn't live. You wouldn't live. And so, um, so what we're talking about is at least six months, probably a lot longer period of time. And so it's risky. Um, so... He's leaving for a long time, but it's also a risky thing to ask because Timothy might not ever get back to Ephesus. I mean, he's going, Paul wants him to come to Rome. Paul wants him to come to him in Rome. So Timothy's going to have to identify himself as a Paul guy. And so he risks being arrested and maybe executed just like Paul. Because Timothy would be associating with a guy who's in prison for capital punishment, and he's actually doing the same things that, or he should be doing the same things that Paul was doing that got him in the place. So the bottom line here is that Paul asking Timothy doesn't make sense. It seems backwards based on what is going on here in this letter. And it doesn't make sense until you realize that Timothy going to Rome is actually part of Paul's plan to leave a gospel legacy. It's actually part of Paul's plan to leave a gospel legacy. Paul wants to pass the baton on to Timothy so that Timothy can carry on after he's gone. And so in order to do this, in order for Paul to make sure he doesn't want to just write, a letter is insufficient because Paul doesn't just want Timothy to wake up and pastor this one church in Ephesus. Paul wants Timothy to be the kind of leader that can handle Paul's ministry after Paul dies. And so Paul knows that, again, it's not enough to write a letter. There needs to be personal, intimate contact.
There needs to be personal discipleship here. Paul wants to spend time with Timothy um, because he knows that what Timothy needs is a real relationship. Right? You know this. If any of you have ever tried to, to do something, tried to change something about you, tried to lose weight, tried to get better at your work, like it's one thing to get a how-to book, right? It's one thing to get a book and to read it and try to put it into place, but how much better is it when you've got someone in your life that's helping you? I mean, I feel like you read stories of actors and actresses that have a, they, they have a role and they need to get in shape for that role. They put on you know, significant amounts of muscle or they change their, their body type in a way that makes them fit for it. You think, man, how do they do that? And Well, how do they do it? What do they get? They had a personal trainer. Right? They get someone who in flesh and blood, like LeBron James actually, during this offseason, dropped, they said something like 30 or 40 pounds to get ready for this NBA season coming up because he wants to take his game to the next level. How did he do it? He could not do it on his own. LeBron James, one of the guys who is the most hardworking and has one of the best work ethics in basketball, he could not do what he needed on his own. He got a personal trainer who literally gave him every meal that he was allowed to eat. We can't do this on our own. This is part of what community is for. Right, having the right community, but Paul knew that Timothy needed to have, like Paul had the right priority, he knew that Timothy needed to spend time with him. It's one thing for Paul to write a letter, but it's another thing for Paul to look Timothy in the eye and say, Timothy, man, you are my son in the faith, and I'm calling you, I'm handing this baton to you. At that time that Paul wanted to spend to Timothy, Paul has poured his life into Timothy over the years, and he knows that this last personal connection, this last personal connection uh, will echo in Timothy's ears, mind, and heart for the rest of his life. Friends, we need the same thing. We don't just need friends, but we need personal discipleship. Right? You need personal discipleship. You need someone in your life that is intentionally wanting to grow spiritually with you. You need someone in your life that you're talking about, how do I grow spiritually? How do I know God better? Um, how can I be more of a blessing to others? Um, you can make progress on your own, um, but it's not the same as when you have personal discipleship. Chad told me about a friend of his um, who ran track in high school. And he had this coach who was a great man. And his friend was training to beat his own time in the mile because he wanted to carry his team to victory. Chad sent me the story, so I'm going to read it. He said a week before, the week before race day, at practice, he had a panic attack because he was afraid he couldn't do it. All of his efforts were falling short. He was afraid he couldn't do it. And he was incapacitated by the pressure. It was that bad. And so his coach did something that any coach would do. He spoke words of love and courage to his friend, but then his coach did something amazing. His coach walked with him to the starting line, and when the gun went off, he ran the entire track with him, every step of the way, speaking courage and strength 
to him. And so his friend and his coach crossed the finish line together and broke that time barrier that he never could break on his own. His friend says that this coach's investment in him was a life-changing moment. Um, he's carried that moment with him his whole life as a source of courage and strength in times when he feels overwhelmed. What's awesome is that when I met this friend and we began to talk, he began to share this story about this coach. And when he was done, I said, you know, I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey, but your coach is an amazing picture of what Jesus has done for us. God loved the world so much that he gave his son. And it's even better than what your coach did because Jesus will help you to run the race. But before Jesus asks you to take a step in any direction, in any race, Jesus came and he ran the perfect race for you. He actually ran the race, won the first prize, and then he gives you his medal. Salvation is not about us living better lives. Salvation is about Jesus living the perfect life and then giving us his rewards, giving us his blessings, the blessings of heaven. It's not that we're, we become good people and that's why we go to heaven but it's because Jesus was the perfect person that God forgives us and welcomes us in. And it's when we realize that, it's when we come to grips with that love that Jesus has for us, that's when not only are we accepted and forgiven, but we too are strengthened. When we know that, you know what, I don't have the patience for this person. I don't have the love for that person. I can't get out of this bitterness. I can't get out of this anger. I can't overcome this addiction. I can't overcome this problem. But you know what? Jesus was able to do these things. I don't have love, but Jesus has perfect love. I don't have patience, but Jesus has perfect patience. And Jesus loves me and has given me his spirit. And so now... I can't do this, but it's not just me here anymore. Jesus is now with me. And so I can love when I couldn't before. I have received a love I didn't deserve. I have received patience that I didn't deserve. I have received strength that I didn't earn, strength that I don't have, but I've been gifted. It's been gifted to me from Jesus. And so everything that Paul is pouring into Timothy everything that Paul wants to continue to pour into Timothy is what Jesus has given to him. We're going to talk all about this in the last verse next week. Next week, this whole sermon is about planting the gospel deep into your hearts and learning how to plant it in the hearts of others. But this is what Paul is aiming to do. Paul knows this is what Timothy needs. He needs personal interaction so that both Paul can point Timothy to Jesus and then Paul can give Timothy from his own experience um, what he has received. 
from Jesus. So in this area of personal discipleship, this goes in two directions. And my heart is that each one of you would connect to personal discipleship in these two directions. My hope is that every one of you would have someone in your life that is pouring into you. Someone in your life who, when you interact with them, they help you grow spiritually. And then, I want every one of you to have someone in your life that you are pouring into them. Where you are the one who is trying to help them to grow. Sometimes that can be the same person. Right? Sometimes we have these relationships and you get together and you're like, wow, like, I'm not sure who's in front of who here, but I, or maybe we're just running together. Right? Because when I run on my own, I'm running like 8-minute, 30-second miles. But when I run with you, it's 8.15. Easy. Just because you're standing there running with me, not standing there, just because you're running there with me. But so we all, this is part of Paul's bucket list. Um, this is part of what gives us the ability to live a life that affects other people forever. Right? Energy and time that you spend being invested in, where you try to focus on growing spiritually, right? that's time that will change you. It changes you over time forever. And then when you turn around and share that with others, it makes all the difference in the world. So I want you to think about, okay, yeah, who in my life do I have that can pour into me? And then who in my life can I help grow? That's what personal discipleship is, right? And you get together. I mean, it's as simple as making sure we're going to get together consistently, whether it's once a month, twice a month, once a week, right? You're getting together specifically to ask the question, how can we help each other grow? How can we help each other grow? And that growth is, how do I grow as a person to be more like Jesus? And then how can I be a blessing to others? If you're not engaged in personal discipleship, then you are missing out on the legacy that Paul is leaving for us. If you're not currently doing this, I want you to ask yourself the question, why? Why am I not doing this? Like, what is standing in the way? And how do I get rid of that? If you need help, I mean, our life groups are designed to be places where the beginnings of personal discipleship happens, right? People come together in small groups. It's what we do every Tuesday night in our house. Right? People come over and we help each other grow. So I want all, all of you to, to, to engage with this, and if you're not, ask yourself why. Join a life group. I mean, it's a great way to start the process. Okay, then, last thing Paul has to say here. So Paul had the right community for Timothy. He had the right priorities, personal discipleship. Um, and that was even more important than Timothy staying at Ephesus. But then the third thing is that Paul had the right perspective. He had the right perspective. From Paul's perspective, all the nations are coming. Okay? Paul sees all the nations coming. And uh, let me show you what I mean here. In verse 21, so the rest of verse 21, he says, Do your best to come before winter. And then he says, Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Putin's and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. So these names, the scholars tell us, these are actually Roman names. 
Okay, see so there are names of people who are in Rome that are where Paul was. Paul was in Rome in prison. And these are folks that are in Rome, part of the church, that Paul is now sending greetings to. And so you've got Roman Christians now who are sending greetings to Timothy and to um, the rest of the folks who are in Ephesus. This is interesting because the Roman church um, was significant because Rome was the place where Caesar was in power. Rome was where Caesar um, ruled. He was in charge of the known world at the time. And Caesar, one of the things Caesar did was he went out and he tried to stomp out um, groups of people that would say that anybody else was Lord. So as far as the Romans were concerned, Caesar was Lord. Um, but as people became Christians, they began to say that Jesus was Lord. And so right now, Paul is telling Timothy, hey, look, there are people here in Rome who are now saying that there's another Lord, that Jesus is actually Lord. And these are four of them. So four of these folks are Roman. But then from verse 19, we have Prisca and Aquila and Onesiphorus. These are Greek names. We have Erastus and Trophimus. These are Greek names. So you have Romans, you also have Greeks. And then you also have Paul and Timothy, who were Jews. So you have Romans, Greeks, and Jews in these verses. Romans, Greeks, and Jews. And what Paul, I think, is doing, he's at the end of his life, and so often people, at the end of their life, they, they have regrets, right? Because there's things that they wish they did that they didn't do. There are important things that they've left undone. And it's, what's amazing is that in this letter, Paul is bringing up in the verses from verse 9 all the way to the end of this chapter, um, Paul lists a bunch of different cities. I actually put, this is a map of, the, of part of the Roman Empire, you know, with just the different cities that are mentioned in different places in the New Testament. Just in these 11 verses, Paul mentions two, four, six, eight, nine different locations and I put green stars in the places um, that Paul lists. And so there's a star next to Ephesus, there's a star next to Corinth, there's a star next to Rome, there's a star in Dalmatia, a star in Galatia. These are all places that Paul mentions in this chapter. And I guess what I want you to see here is that as Paul thinks about what he's done and the work that he is leaving, the work that he is handing over to Timothy, when Paul thinks about where all these places are, he's saying... And in the known world of the day, in the world of Rome, we are seeing the gospel take root. That there are people and there are leaders now, leaders of the church all over the known world. In 30 years, so 30 years from the resurrection of Jesus, the gospel is actually filling up the region. Okay, now this doesn't include all the places that the church has mentioned. This is just in these 11 verses as Paul is preparing to hand the baton to Timothy. I think he's telling Timothy, look, here's where everybody is so that you can be the quarterback. You can be the coach, right, after I'm gone. And what we see here is that you've got people from all over the known world um, who have turned to Jesus who are preaching the gospel and living out the gospel. And what we see here is that, we're, that, that God, what God has done here is he has brought together Jews and Greeks and Romans. And they are all becoming part of a single family 
that unites them across every other barrier that would separate them. So back then, the Jews didn't get along with anybody else. Everybody else was dirty, was unclean, was unfit, was less than, was unchosen. Right? And yet here you have what we see here is just a, a small picture in these verses of God not just saving some, but God saving people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Right? What this is, this is the promises of God coming true. That yes, Jesus came and lived in Israel and as a Jew, but he died for the world. He died not just for the Jews, but he died for every nation. He died for the world. And what Paul is seeing here is that God's promises are coming true. That this truth of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, it is a story that changes everything. It's a story that changes everyone. And one of the ways that God promises, um, one of the ways that God says you can see me at work, is when you see the nations turning to me. In Ephesians 2, Paul actually says that when the Jews and the non-Jews are coming together into a family, man, that's a sign that God is on the move. That's a sign that God is at work. And so this is the gospel promise of God renewing the world. And if he's renewing the world, friends, he can renew things in your life. He can affect everything in your life. And this is, this is the vision that we've had for San Diego and Tijuana and beyond. This is the vision that we are going to renew as a church on October 19th, right? As we relaunch, um, we want to prepare ourselves to focus on these things, right? We want to have big, grand, and huge vision to see the gospel transform San Diego, Tijuana, and beyond. But it's going to start with us saying yes to personal discipleship. And that's how it happens. It happens one person at a time. So I hope you're ready. I hope you're ready. And I hope you say yes to this and begin to ask yourself the question, who do I have that's helping me and who can I turn around and help? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that in this list of names, we see the whole story. We see you not just changing individuals, but we see you renewing the world. Oh, Jesus, we want this to grow and to continue. We want this, this good news, that you set people free from circumstances, that you set people free from being enslaved to things that just don't last. Jesus, we want this legacy for ourselves. We want to invest in people. And to do that, we know that we need others to invest in us. And so strengthen us as a church family. Continue to knit our hearts together and help us to build these kinds of relationships. And Jesus, we pray too, there are those here who haven't trusted you yet. There are those here who are still on the outside looking in. Jesus, would you help them to see that you have a legacy for them, a legacy where they can run with you, with your presence and your power and your blessings. Show them that you died not just for the world, but for them, so that they might accept you, they might turn and follow you. We pray this in your name. Amen.